So if you have been worshiping with us in the past several weeks here at Boone UMC, we have been talking about this idea of looking for light in a dark world and the sense that Jesus was God's answer to us. Uh, guidance, providing guidance for us and to save us from getting stuck in the dark corners of our life that we sometimes find ourselves in. And tonight of all nights, we celebrate that the light is finally coming and showing us the way once again, showing us how much we need the light of Christ. So in his book, Into Thin Air, uh, John Krakauer uh, shares about when he finally summited uh, Mount Everest. It was May 10th of 1996. And when he finally made it to the top, he only paused for just a few minutes because by that point, the exhaustion had set in, the muscles were tired, the oxygen deprivation was uh, pretty, pretty serious. And I can only imagine what that feels like at 29,000 feet because of a year ago, I summited Kilimanjaro at just 14,000 feet and, I mean, 19,000 feet, and it is a serious deal when your brain just is not functioning well, the oxygen level is low, and your body just won't respond and do what you are asking it to do. Uh, this is incredibly multiplied when you're summiting Everest. And so, um, tag the top, you're there for just a little while, and then you start coming down. Well, as he was coming down, uh, a storm set in, and a snowstorm came in, there was thunder and lightning, and, and uh, before long it was very hard to see, but thankfully he was able to make it back to Camp 4 in time. But there were four um, climbers after him that summited that were not so lucky, and they weren't able to make it back to Camp 4, and they got completely disoriented, completely lost and blinded in the storm. And so they finally decided to stop where they were, camp for the night, wait the storm out, and then um, try and find their way the next morning. Well, when they woke up the next morning and looked at where they had camped, they were literally one step away from um, the, the south wall, which is a 4,000-foot drop-off, a precipice. And they had no idea that they had been sleeping all night long um, right there on the edge in a dangerous place because of that, that snowstorm. We all, our world can disorient us with uh, the winds of confusion and with distraction, with darkness of temptation and skepticism that can surround us. And there are a lot of people in our world that don't even realize they are sleeping on the edge of disaster. But it is the light of Christ that can help us see the edges and to find our way to safety and security. It is the light that the world needs in a desperate way. And it is this light um, that we want to reflect far and wide. So tonight we celebrate the birth of Jesus, and I want to invite you to hear the word as it is written in the Gospel of John, from John 1, verses 1 through 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word was with God in the beginning. Everything came into being through the Word, and without the Word, Nothing came into being. 
What came into being through the word was life. And the life was the light for all people. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness doesn't extinguish the light. A man named, a man named John was sent from God. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light so that through him everyone would believe in the light. He himself wasn't the light, but his mission was to testify concerning the light. The true light that shines on all people was coming into the world. The light was in the world and the world came into being through the light, but the world didn't recognize the light. The light came to his own people and his own people didn't welcome him. But those who did welcome him, those who believed in his name, he authorized to become God's children, born not from blood, nor from human desire or passion, but born from God. The word became flesh and made his home among us. We have seen his glory, glory like that of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. This is the word of God for all God's people. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Tonight, Lord, you enter again in the dark corners of our world. Tonight, your light shines for all to see. Tonight, let us pause and bask in the glorious light of Jesus Christ. Amen. So back in the day, Easter was the big kahuna, right? It was not Christmas. And for the first 12 centuries, uh, the Easter festival and feast was the greatest feast day celebration. And Christmas, well, that was just a little day in December that was set apart as a special day. But then in the 13th century, a very strange monk came along that changed a lot of things. Uh, but one of the things that he did was to lift up Christmas, St. Francis of Assisi. And he uh, decided, as he was kind of thinking and reflecting on, on um, his faith, that we really didn't need to wait for God to love us through the cross and through the resurrection. So Francis emphasized that it actually all started with the birth of Jesus. This incarnate love of God that um, was born into this world through human form. And so one of the ways he began to lift up the, the Christmas story was he was the first one to introduce a, a crush. And everyone, you know, Easter has this holy week. It has like days of worship leading up to it. And so the nativity was a way of telling the story that was less known, less familiar, um, reminding us who all of the various characters were and to help us emphasize the importance of um, the birth of Jesus. And little did he know that it would eventually become the biggest of biggest feast days. So if God had become flesh and taken on materiality and physicality and humanity, then we really didn't have to wait for Easter to resolve the human sin problem. Because of this forgiving grace of the cross, he reasoned was actually solved from the very beginning um, with the birth of Christ and God, Emmanuel, who has come to be with us. 
And that's, this is what I love about St. Francis, because this is what he did here. His point was that the Christmas feast celebration celebrates all that is good about being human, that is good to be on the earth, that is good to be flesh and to have emotions, that we don't need to be ashamed because God wasn't ashamed enough that he chose to um, love the physical, to love God's creation, and to take on flesh and blood and bones in order to um, connect and celebrate, teach and lead us. So another way to wrap our heads around this incarnate um, God, God with us, um, is a story from one of my favorite musicians. I love Billy Joel. And uh, one day he was, not one day, but one point in his life, he was out on tour as he has spent a lot of his time, but he was going to miss his 12-year-old daughter's birthday. So he was out in California. She was in New York. He called her that morning and apologized for being gone, but said, hey, you are going to get a super big package delivered later today. And uh, it's a special delivery for your birthday. So sure enough, that night, um, a knock on the door came. The daughter went to answer. And there was this like seven-foot package all wrapped up, shiny and beautiful. She was so excited and she began to tear into it. And of course, once she opened the box, out comes Billy Joel. And he was there in person. You can imagine how surprised and shocked she was um, to see her father right there in front of her. Perhaps you can imagine it, right? Because your gift came in flesh too. The gift of light and life through Jesus. So contemporary theologian Richard War goes on to build on what St. Francis was thinking back in the 13th century. Rohr uh, reflects with us today and says, um, Advent reminds us that Advent is not just waiting for baby Jesus to be born. Y'all, that happened 2,000 years ago. Instead, we prepare for and celebrate what we struggle to see in the everyday, that incarnate, incarnate light shining through that is hidden inside of everything material, including ourselves, you and me. You see, incarnation doesn't mean just mean that God became Jesus in human form, but that God also said yes to the material universe, that God said yes to this physicality. So in the Eastern Orthodox Church, Christians understand the mystery of this incarnation much more in a universal sense than we do in our Christianity in the West. They believe, and I believe too, that God is forever revealing and shining into our world in a multitude of ways. God is incarnate in us and through you and I, we then can reflect that light for others to see. Reflecting the light. How do we do that? What does that mean? How does that happen exactly? Folks that are here know that I kind of like science. And so when I was thinking about literally how is light reflected. Um, I, I was reminded that Paul tells us we are like shining stars and that the word shines as a way um, to reflect uh, into Jesus into our world. Well, the scientific term for this reflecting of light is called albedo. 
It's a measurement of how much sunlight a celestial body reflects. And so one of those pictures just shows that the, the sun shines and it bounces off a cloud. Um, various reflection bounces off the, the iceberg, but then the water absorbs the light. And so there's not much reflection that's coming from uh, the water. So there's a way to measure this, and particularly with the celestial bodies, our stars and planets. The planet Venus, Venus, for example, it has the highest albedo. It is a reflection of 0.65. And what that means is that 65% of the light that shines on that planet, Venus, is reflected. Depending on where it is in its orbit, the almost a planet, Pluto, um, has a range from 49 to 66. This is really interesting though. Our nightlight, the moon, it actually only has a measurement of 0.07. Y'all, that means only 7% of the light that shines on the moon is reflected out. But yet, think about how much light that it shines on cloudless nights for us. So if we think about this moving from the scientific to the spiritual, in a similar sense, each of us has a spiritual albedo. How much of Jesus' light do we reflect back out? The goal would be 100% reflectivity. And a reminder that we don't produce the light. That light shines on us and we can only reflect it. So even if we were reflecting at the same rate of the moon at 0.07%, that's still a high impact in our world. In some ways, I think these opening verses from the Gospel of John are saying similar things. That into this dark world, a bright light began to shine. And that light is Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. And God's great hope for us is that everyone would see the light and choose to follow it, to recognize that this light is for our best interest, for our greater good. Not only does this text call us to pay attention to this light, but it even gives us an example of someone who reflected the light of Christ. Did you catch that in the midst of the strange language about light and life and word? It talked about John the Baptist, that he came to point others to Jesus. And it goes to a specific and great effort to say, by the way, John was not the light but he was, his role was to testify to the light. So let's talk about that for a minute. If our main idea tonight is that you and I can help reflect the light of Christ to others, then we can learn a lot from John the Baptist. And you see, here's what's important for us. To be witnesses to the light, it does not require that we match the greatness of the one we represent. We don't have to be, nor can we be, equal to the goodness and the greatness of Jesus. That's not our role. We are to be vessels to reflect the light of Christ for others to see. Let Christ's light shine through our lives John would go on later in chapter 3 to explain um, to others that uh, he said, Therefore my joy is now complete. He, Jesus, must increase and I must decrease. The more we direct ourselves towards Jesus, the better this point is made. 
because we are the secondary reflection and Christ is the original bright light. And this stark contrast between us and Jesus only helps Jesus's light shine brighter and to remind us he is that true light. When I was thinking about this, this reminded me actually of this past Easter when we talked about um, something called kintsuki, a practice, an Eastern art practice, where uh, we took a vase and we broke it and then we glued it back together. And the way this practice works is it acknowledges that whenever something does break, it's pretty hard to completely glue it back together so that there's no holes or um, pieces that don't match up. And so the art form um, uses that as a strength. And sometimes it will actually leave the open spaces. So if you put a light inside of it, it will shine through. The other thing that it does is it will use gold or something beautiful to actually Um, help glue the pieces back together. So here is this broken vase that actually has value added to it. Like it's more beautiful and it's more precious as it is now than it was before it was even broken. And it's a powerful reminder to us that we're all broken vessels. But when God's light shines on us and through us, then we have the opportunity to shine and reflect that light out into the world. And because of our brokenness, we're actually able to shine even more brightly for Jesus. That we are these vessels um, able in all of our imperfection, in all of our um, hurts and woundedness, in all of the ways that we fall short of loving God beautifully and fully, that's some of the moments when we can actually shine the brightest. Like a candle shining in the darkness, that flickering light pushes back the darkness and sends a message of hope and possibility that struggles to stay alive in the darkness and shadows at times. But instead tonight, let us celebrate the light that bursts through our darkness and invites us to follow him. Let's absorb that light so that when we walk out of here, we can be that spark of light that goes wherever it is you're going to go tomorrow and be with whomever it is you're going to be with. That you will know that from within our own broken vessels, the light of Christ shines so brightly. Amen.